0: Welcome to Ancient Answers, the program that discusses modern issues by looking back to the wisdom of the ancient peoples that came before us. In this special episode, Gordon and myself conclude our interview with Leanne Harris on the topic of women in Athens and Sparta.
1: Right, I mean, I mean, slavery existed in all societies, yeah. but the wanton murder of a helot family or or a helot who's just out there plowing his field even would make, you know, most Athenians shudder at the idea.
0: Well, and we did talk about uh, different class distinctions within Athenian society and how, you know, it was only 10, 15% of the population who could vote because they were male citizens and had parents who were citizens, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I guess that is a similarity between Spartan and Athenian society, but the Spartans just took that that difference and really widened the chasm. It just brought the uh, brought it to a whole new level. Where if the Athenians, I mean, I think we could say that they were sort of indifferent to the rest of those people, whereas the Spartans were openly violent towards them.
1: Yeah, with Spartan society, you're either in or you're out. Yeah, there is no in betweener. And as you also said, the Spartan male, his full time occupation. Is to be a soldier yeah so he was a full-time soldier until 30 and then after that he's still a soldier but part-time soldier mm-hmm. he will never work the fields he's never gonna do any trade he's not gonna take up a hobby <laughs> he will still be uh, actively in training as a part-time soldier
0: yeah
1: so if you're not soldiering, you're, you're scum, basically.
0: Well, and if I remember correctly, I think they, they don't, they retire at 60 or 65 mm-hmm. or something. So you'd be a full-time soldier between, what is it, 18, 20 to 30, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and then you'd be a part-time soldier from 30 years old until, again, 60 or 65. And then at that point, you, if you survive, uh, you would retire and now you're sort of a elder or maybe one of those trainers you've mentioned, something like that. So
1: Right. And and if you are a part-time soldier, you still can be recruited into battle at any age in that time. Yeah. So amazingly, the Spartans did have soldiers who were fighting at the age of 50 Mm -hmm. and 60, which was a very elderly age in most ancient cultures. Yeah. But to the Spartan, they were still considered prime, prime enough to do that.
0: Well, even, even though the physical training was extremely harsh, um, as awful as it might be, I think we do have to give credits to the results that they achieved again, not just the ends do not justify the means in my opinion. Uh, but they did end up with supremely fit, elite soldiers, um, uh, and extremely powerful athletes and what have you, and very capable warriors. So, Again, not justifying the tactics, but they...
1: Oh, yeah. well, and that's why we're still amazed by them because we've never seen a culture put so much emphasis on that one thing. But they did do it well, you know. They did that one thing and they did it really, really well. So we're we're still amazed by their their skill and their prowess at at it. And yeah. that's why we're making movies, you know, Three Hundred Spartans. <laughs> that's, that's why right. we're right. still talking about the Battle of Thermopylae. Which is where they, this was like the great underdog battle oh, yeah. uh, of the ancient world where I know, you know, the Persians are probably thinking, sweet, you know, we won that. But nobody gives a whit about the Persians. <laughs> we're just still talking about the 300 Spartans who, though they died, were just an amazing force.
2: Yeah. Granted, though, it was Athenians that wrote about it. That's true. Of course. <laughs> That's a good and, point.
1: And, and I, they're I, all I, been, they are always good at a good story, you know?
2: <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll take a slight different opinion, although I understand in terms of military prowess that for the roughly 280 years that they existed, they were a formidable force for such a small city-state. That's true. But history was always going to be against them. They were never going to populate fast enough to build up an army to no. become equivalent to the other adjacent societies that were growing all the time in terms of just sheer population and the fact that their military approach, which was you know, hit hard, kill, that kind of just blunt force military application uh, locked the finesse that they would see later on. I mean, in the end, they were defeated soundly by two other city-states, uh, Corinth and Athens, quite soundly and actually disappeared from history. And the sad thing is, You are correct, if you go to Sparta today, it is a small municipality there in Greece. You know, there is no wall, there is no buildings, there is no, there's some shards of pottery around that are inferior quality. It's the sadness is they've spent so much energy trying to achieve one specific attribute to the best of all else. But in the end, they get washed away from the sands of time because nothing that they handed on the passport is of any value.
1: I, I think what you have to also consider with the fall of Sparta is the Spartans did not live in in family units. Mm-hmm. At at any level, there was no family unit. It reminds me so much of Hitler's Nazi regime where he would impregnate these women from different um northern european countries to bear little blonde blue-eyed children and then institutionalize them to sort of raise his own aryan army and that the reality is you lose heart if you don't have anything to fight for and the spartans didn't have a family to fight for The children belong to the state. They were raised by the state. The parents had a hands-off education. The fathers didn't even necessarily train their own sons. It was their mentors that I mentioned that would be in charge of their own children. And, you know, you can't put a price on that, that in the end, if you have nothing to fight for, then why are you fight it? And it will unravel. The family, you you fight for your family, right? You do everything for your family.
2: And I do know that uh, demographic information, as best we can get, is that by the time um, we get to towards the time of Alexander the Great, roughly three twenty, three thirty uh, uh, B.C.E., we the Spartans, the the number of helots proportion to the number of Spartan citizen male citizens was roughly about a nine to one, possibly as high as 10 to one ratio. And we do forget that there were three helot revolts that took place over a course of about 30 years. And they were completely uh, they completely upset, the, the especially the last one, where we basically would say the Sparta disappeared because the cost of men, trained soldiers and the Spartan citizens was never, never, fixed up because you're right, they didn't have the family unit to draw upon, to be bluntly, to reproduce their numbers again.
1: And it has been argued that the reason they were so military minded was because they were constantly in a sense at war with the helots. They did not have walled cities but they were always threatened by a helot uprising, and so they were constantly uh, vigilant about staying in peak form because of that. So, so going going into uh, the Spartan women here.
0: Actually, before before we go more to the Spartan women, one one point that I wanted to make was that we're talking about sort of the, the sadness about ancient Sparta and uh, how looking through a modern lens, they didn't really amount to much. We have all this stuff from Athens. We have so little from Sparta, except the Mm reputation However, I think from a Spartan perspective, they would see this as a great success because they lived for one thing and that one thing was warfare. That was all they were good at. That was all they wanted to be good at. And here we are two and a half thousand years later and we're still talking about them for that, (laughs) Despite the fact that we have Hardly any writing from Spartans, despite the fact that we have very little archaeological evidence, that we have so little physical anything, representations from that culture. And yet we're still talking about Spartans and in warfare, we're still talking about 300 and the Battle of Thermopylae. So I think. And football. And what, sorry? (laughs) And football teams. And football teams, wow. there you go,
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: football teams,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think that a good, that, that's a good point.
0: Yeah, yeah. we're still I mean, enamored with them. Yeah, so in, in, to some degree, by their standards, I think, that they would consider this uh, quite the success.
1: Because to the ancient world, it's all about being remembered, right? Exactly. That you want exactly. to be remembered in time. So you're old. absolutely right on that. <laughs>
0: so yeah now that that being said we talked a lot about spartan men and spartan male education in society so what uh what about the the female perspective what do we know about that
1: i'm always amazed and interested at the portrayal of helen of troy in literature helen of troy would be better known as helen of sparta Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and is the reputed face that launched the thousand ships that started the trojan war when she left her spartan husband menelaus and skips over to troy to be with her new lover paris in movies all through the 1950s those sort of sword and sandal sagas and in books she comes off as a bit simpery a little bit weak swept along this journey of uh, infidelity to find herself in Troy with Paris uh sort of clinging to the events that took her there in kind of a weak willed way and expecting Paris to kind of get out there and you know tell her former husband what's what that's not accurate if you look at what Spartan women were like if Helen of Sparta were to Uh, Present herself today. I think you would find her to be a real Handful (laughs) She'd be a go-getter. She'd be decisive. She would be powerful. I Think someone like Paris could hardly handle her to be honest Yeah, and I don't know why that perception isn't brought into movies because if you know anything about Sparta You would know that the Spartan women are no shrinking pansies. All right (laughs) so The once a a young female baby has been determined viable and will live healthy and strong, then she will be raised with her mother uh, in the house until she is seven. And at seven, she'll begin her formal education, although she will still stay in the house with her mother. Mm -hmm. And her training is pretty much identical to, to the boys. Uh She's going to learn all about uh, wrestling and exercising, gymnastics, running, horse racing. And she did participate in the Spartan Olympics. So the Spartans had their own uh, Olympic event, which was seen by both male and female. And there were varying degrees of nudity among the male and the females, which did not bother either gender both were okay observing nudity in that culture
0: yeah
1: when the spartan girl is in training she wears a short chiton that comes up to her knees like a tunic exposing her legs which of course was a great shock to the athenians (laughs) and they often took the chiton off the right shoulder to expose their right breast if they were going to do archery they 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 wanted sort of the I don't know. They're just the way they kind of had it worked out. They felt it was more comfortable to do it that way. They also cut their hair short. They they kept their hair relatively short, um, chin length, like bobbed. Mm-hmm. Again, the Athenian women would be sort of you know at odds about that, since hair was sort of your crowning glory. It was your femininity. It was all of that. So Athenians would only cut their women's hair. Because of infidelity or something that had been done wrong, it, yep. cutting of the, cutting of women's hair was always a punishment. So the Athenians could never figure out why the Spartan women would want to do that uh, naturally, but they did it because they were athletic and it was cooler and and more uh, practical. Yep, I think uh, Spartan women were allowed to go anywhere they wanted in that society without a chaperone. They had complete mobility. They could go where they wanted. They did not need permission from their fathers or their menfolk. And they also married later in life as well compared to their Athenian counterparts. An Athenian girl would be married by 16 or Mm -hmm. earlier. And a Spartan woman would start considering marriage uh, from the age of 18 and onward. So she was four to six years older at at her marriage date. So they're gonna go through the same rigorous training as their males. It is important that the Spartan woman have the most perfect body. Because with her most perfect and um, physically healthy body, she will bear the perfect Spartan soldier. So that's why the women obsessed about their bodies because their chief job was to exercise and to bear healthy Spartan children.
0: Well, it goes she back did not,
1: to, sorry
0: it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of our Spartan discussion about the the eugenics and the like selective breeding, essentially, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, she's not going to worry about uh the home. the home and and the maintenance of the home is entirely left up to servants, to helots, servants. She's not going to worry about any of that. So there's no domestic life for a Spartan woman. It's entirely about working out at the gym (laughs) and getting that body into fit shape so that she can bear a perfect child, a perfect Spartan, male or female. Of course, males were slightly more desirable, but really, in this culture, I would see them as almost equal, that the women had that uh, status. Now, they were, in a sense, breeding machines, and the women knew this but they were proud of this that they were able to contribute to the the greatness of their society and it was important that once the woman bore the child that they got right back into shape immediately so mm-hmm. there was no baby fat there's no post pregnancy you know chubbiness it they were They were having those babies and wearing their skinny jeans on the same day. (laughs) That's how they saw it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So they also have their graduation that they have to show that they are ready to be uh, bearers and a equal part of Spartan life. They have the competition with the other girls. They often wrestled male and female. Like it, it was pretty equal. I am not as certain whether they need to kill a helot as much as the males.
0: No, I, like, I, sure. I don't think so. I haven't read anything about the women having to.
1: So I, I probably won't comment on that. It, it didn't appear to be the case, but they certainly had to prove themselves physically. They also had to be very fine at equestrian skills. Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> if they did not pass these tests if spartan society felt that they hadn't lived up to their um, expectations like the male they would be stripped naked and publicly flogged and demoted to that working class uh the name escapes me but i it's the um the uh, perioikoi perioikoi is the sort of trade class or they could be a spinner or a weaver, do some, some trade skill or they might just be demoted right down to helot. you Yeah. Know? So if they didn't have any skill that they could pick up, then they were into a, a, a lifetime of servitude. It's really important that you pass that graduation test, the yeah. male or female, because if you didn't, you had no citizenship and no status and the the results were just disastrous you had had no life
0: it's a very strange form of equality yeah and yeah I I find that I find that kind of interesting because I've seen some a little bit of debate recently with um, you know in modern times dealing with equality between men and women and so uh, one question I've seen pop up over the last couple years is if a country nowadays like Canada or the United States let's say were to institute a draft would women be a part of that because it's, it's all about equality and equal roles and equal opportunity and what have you. So I, I find it very interesting that in Sparta, they kind of took that to heart <laughs> where yeah. even, even the the failure for the grad for the graduation ceremony, for lack of a better term, it was the same punishment. You were stripped naked, yeah. you were flogged, you were demoted. And just, so again, yeah, the, justify the means, but, a lot of equality, so there's that.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was no sort of special accommodation. Yeah. You were equal under the law in a way, and you had to bear the same consequences.
2: Yeah.
1: So Spartan girls, yeah, did,
2: go ahead. Yeah, did Spartan women enjoy the benefits of owning property?
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, j- just further to the education, they did also read and write. Mm. They, they, there was reading and writing, Dancing for, of course, uh, balance and poise and coordination. They could own property. Uh, Spartan women could own their own property independently. It was not part of a dowry. They could dispense with their property, inherit property, buy property independently of their husbands. And when they married, there was no dowry exchanged. Marriages were not based on dowry or money or anything. It was based on who's got the most fit body (laughs) to be mated with the other individual with the most fit body. So, how they would do it is it's not just all good looking because everyone is good looking in those days. It was who's the fastest. So, if someone's really good at uh, track, then they would be mated with their female uh, counterpart who's also good at track. So two track stars would get together. Oh. Or if you're really good at heavy lifting and you're male and there's a female who's really good at heavy lifting, well then those two would be matched together. So in particular skills or if someone is extremely flexible, then the one flexible person would be matched with the other flexible person and that's how it was it was kind of done for the marriage there's no dating or courtship there would be sort of obvious choices though i mean when it was kind of obvious to some in the community that oh that person's really good at that and you're really good at this and you would admire that characteristic in that individual so that would be a good Uh, Segue into a a matchup, I would say that in both cases between the Athenian woman and the Spartan woman, both marriages were a disappointment. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It it just really, you know. So I I digress for a moment and mention the Athenian marriage. Mm -hmm. For many Athenian girls, they did not even attend their own marriage it was all done by contract between the families. She just got announced, you know, her father would just say, okay, I, I married you off to, you know, so-and-so, so now you're gonna live with him. Sometimes the Athenian woman did have a marriage, which then would have a bit of a a ritual and there would be a, a parade through the streets and such, but not necessarily. Yeah. Now, so with a Spartan marriage, the 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 reason of a marriage is strictly to procreate. Yeah, you're not going to live as a family or anything like that. On the night of the marriage, the male, we'll we'll call him the husband, the hus the or the groom, we'll call him the groom. The groom has to sort of sneak out of the barracks. The whole thing is on the sly. It's all sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> so he has to kind of sneak out of the barracks in the in the dead of night to kind of capture his Spartan wife who has been prepared for him by having her head shaved, okay? She's bald, and she's dressed as a boy, (laughs) okay? Now, bearing in mind that his first sexual experience is going to be with a male, and so it has to be kind of familiar to him. He hasn't had any relationship with a female yet, so she's going to be looking like a boy and he will in the dark grab her there's going to be a mock struggle she's going to be sort of fighting them off and it's going to be like um kind of an assault uh, a symbolic assault and then he's going to throw her over his shoulder or drag her out of the house and um go to a place designated where they'll consummate the, the relationship and he'll get the deed done that night, and it's important that he sneak back to the barracks <laughs> and be there at the um at sunrise, at the breaking of dawn, so that all of his barrack buddies don't realize that he's been gone for the night. Okay? So that's the wedding night.
0: <laughs> Very romantic.
1: Yeah, that's the wedding night. From her perspective, her hair's all lopped off. She's dressed as a boy. She's had to fight it out in the dark with her. Her husband, who will impregnate her, and then he's gone in the morning. It's the ultimate one-night stand. Honestly, it's terrible. (laughs)
2: Yeah, think of it this way: no flowers, (laughs) no chocolates, no rest dinner, (laughs) Uh, no no band.
1: (laughs) No, there's not even kissing. Okay, it's just pull up the cheetah and let's just get this thing done. And then if he wants any other relation, like if he wants more marital relations with her, it has to all be done on the sly. He never tells his buddy in the army barracks, hey, I've got a day pass with my wife. There's none of that. He has to sneak out in the night to sort of grab her here, grab her there, and then get back by morning light. They felt that this sneaking around made the made the encounter more exciting that it's all about stealth and if you have to work it so hard you might you know enjoy the moment when it happens (laughs) wow yeah so that's the that's how you start off and um spartan women are very proud uh to be mated with their their equal they are proud of their status. they got a lot of say as a married woman. They actually have quite a bit of say in how society is going to operate and function. So mm-hmm. I think we can learn something from that. They have some voting rights. They do take part in all the Olympic sports, even as married women. Oh. There's, no, there's no barring of that. And their job is to just bear more children. So if they can bear four children, Five children that make it into adulthood this is a great uh service to their community and they are they are you know rewarded for this they're given a lot of accolades a lot of attention they're definitely not relegated to be sort of pregnant and barefoot and nobody cares every child that they're able to bear is a great gift to to the society yeah and their status just goes up and up and up from that
0: well, when you were saying at the at the beginning of our discussion on Sparta about how um, uh, Helen of Sparta or Helen of Troy never really struck you as the typical Spartan woman, and how Paris probably couldn't handle her, or wouldn't know how to deal with her, I guess uh, the the real Helen would be less like Helen and more like Queen Gorgo that we see in the movie Three Hundred or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix actually has. Um a mini series called Troy Fall of a City I think it is yeah. and I would say that the interpretation of Helen in that movie is as close to any that I've seen that would best represent her her more fierce personality
0: okay
1: yeah Oh, I mean you we'll never really know. But, but I would say it's closest to a woman who's kinda getting in there and taking charge a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well based on what we know of Spartan society anyway. So yeah, exactly. Cool.
2: Yeah, Gord. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, we were we had briefly mentioned um Asperia uh as having an influence on Pericles in uh, in Athens. Now where did that where did she come from again? Was it on the, suppose, the sort of the Anatolian side of the Greek.
1: Yeah, she or came right? from a, a coastal town called Miletus, which is on the west side, and she really uh, turned Athenian society upside down. They really didn't know what to make of her. Like they don't. They don't like foreigners. They don't like women foreigners, and they certainly don't want them coming in and setting up shop, mm-hmm. a school of all things telling menfolk how to think and how to public speak. I,
2: I, I couldn't remember. I thought perhaps that she had come from Sparta, but no, I think you're right. She came from the yeah, other no, side. It would be Turkey,
1: sorry. In, in modern days, it would be Turkey today. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Anatolia. so. Well, we've certainly, this has certainly been a great talk about how two societies that were relatively close together geographically spoke the same language same you know ethnic sort of origins would end up being so distinctly different. I think that's one of the reasons why for the last 2500 years, and I'm sure for the next thousands of years people will continue to discuss the interesting pairing of these two city-states with such different lifestyle and uh, and and life philosophies, uh particularly because they ended up conflicting with each other, fighting wars uh with each other several times. And you say, and then in the end you find well, who who wins? The amazing thing is to realize it was the Athenians that would win because the city is still there, and uh, and the yet the Spartans leave behind. And you made a good point there, Shane. They leave behind this idea: what would happen if you could make the ultimate human fighting machine? Yeah. And society literally programmed. Uh, Literally, the, the, literally running a eugenics experiment and saying whether we could get soldiers so physically powerful that they could defeat anything. Of course, it's irrelevant today in the world of, of weapons, of long distance weapons, but uh, it is true. And we mentioned before that I think as long as there are history books and videos and talk about these ancient societies, the ideals that these, particularly these two societies represented, will continue to be a discussion amongst people for a long, long time because it goes right to the essence of what makes a human being the ultimate warrior or something more balanced. But, but what? But what's the balance? It's it, it's the decision is what are your priorities in the struggle for balance? Because obviously, becoming the greatest warriors physical warriors probably of the European uh, air, uh, you know, environment, um, it, it didn't last, and that's the lesson that history says. They, uh, they may put too many of their eggs into one basket trying to create one kind of human being, particularly a male warrior, whereas the course of history and events would take other societies to create. In an, but in the end, those two societies, particularly the Athenian society, we know from the historical record, would it influence the next upcoming empire, which had for most of European history, the greatest influence of all. Yeah, and that would be Rome. And that'll be a topic for probably our next conversation.
0: Yeah, I think we've uh, discussed this one quite thoroughly. And what's really crazy is how much, how much more there is to talk about on this subject.
2: Thank you very much for listening to Ancient Answers. We've had a wonderful time here with our guest speaker, Leanne harris Rashiopo, and her discussion about Ancient Greece and Ancient Sparta. Uh, We enjoyed producing this series. We hope to produce uh, more series, have Leanne back as another guest as we talk about further ancient topics. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And thank you for listening to a special episode of Ancient Answers. And we'll leave the last words here for Leanne.
1: Pleasure spending some time with you uh, talking about these two cultures hopefully we'll do it again thank you so much